Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Bravo, macht Tempo, wartet auf Harte. Herzlang gekommen und jetzt ist es Klos. Also, Arminia Bielefeld. Penny, 2-0. 2-0 für den FC St. Pauli. Diese Flanke, Tor, nächster Treffer. Es heuer, Fernandes mit vorne. Ja klar ist er mit vorne. Kittel mit der Ecke, Pujabalata. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Svarte Bundesliga podcast, the only English-speaking forum podcast for the Svarte Bundesliga. Match day six is in the book, and boy, it was a weekend for the goal scorers. It was a pure tour fest at its finest, and plenty of interesting results to talk about um, from the weekend's action. And before we get to that, my co-hosts, as always... The lovely Eva Lotte Bowler. Eva, how are you doing? I'm a bit higher today uh, and kind of going down with the cold, I think. So I do apologize um, if my voice cracks from time to time. But otherwise, keen to talk about the Bundesliga and not the Bundesliga weekend. Exactly, exactly. We do, I don't actually know what the Bundesliga is, to be honest, because the best league in Germany is, in fact, the Zweite Bundesliga. So we should start aptly in Hamburg. It was the Hamburg derby between Hamburger Esval and FC St. Pauli. And last season, St. Pauli took the the sweep, won both games against Hamburg. Not to be, though, this is a different Hamburg team, of course, uh, under Daniel Thune. This game ended two goals apiece. And it let's just say the difference in Hamburg probably getting something out of this game and probably leaving with uh, losing at home uh, was Simon Terodde. You can't say it wasn't because he's now got eight goals in six games. Truly, truly unbelievable. He, you know, the opening goal of the game, a header off uh, a Joscha Wagnermann cross, and then he scores that goal late just after Simon McKinnock had given St. Pauli the league, the lead. Sorry. And Rodrigo Zalazar scored an excellent goal from outside the box. Uh, Eva, where do you want to start with this game? Because it was relatively even. You look at, um, you know, Hamburg had probably the better of it in terms of opportunities. Um, you know, the, the more of the possession, better passing accuracy. Um, but yeah, the, they'll be frustrated that they couldn't keep that uh, that five-game winning streak to go to six. Yeah, first off, I have to say this is probably one of the best, well, best, most interesting derbies um, in from the two Hamburg side I've seen in the last two three, uh, two years, uh, because just from the setup, I mean, of course, it's a, it's a huge shame that um, not a lot of fans could be there, but just from the game itself, I thought it was was a really interesting one and definitely more interesting than the last two or three, and. Um, Yeah, as you've mentioned, uh, Hamburg might be a bit sad that they get didn't get all three points. But on the other side, um, I thought St. Pauli fought back quite well. Um, they they used their chances very well. They had uh, three out of 12 shots on target, managed to score twice. Um, and of course, Simon Tocqueda is always a very important factor, but I wouldn't solely relied this um yeah this late goal on him because just um for example 
Khaled Narai was really, really good for Hamburg. He had nine crosses, always need, uh, always, um, f- yeah, found a way to at least bring the bring the ball near the box. And um, the the thing about Narai being in, um, or in general, the whole right side with uh, Jumara, Wagnermann and Narai, um, it means that there's some pressure being taken away from Leibold. So normally, if you look at Hammer games, everything is coming from the left side. And this game, the um, the left side was only made 33% out of the Tekken side. The right side was 49%. So you can see that under under Daniel Chiyun, not a whole game relies on how... Um, Tim Leibold performs, um, and I think that's that's something that Hamburg really improved on. And of course, it's the fourth brace for Terodde, so you can't can't talk him down. Um, but if we speak about Zank Pauli on the other half, we spoke about uh, Rodrigo Salazar had some good performances in the first games as well, but was a bit difficult to for him. It was a bit difficult to actually make something out of his possession, but um, he has his third goal now. This is the first one he does didn't score from the spot, if I'm correct here. Mm-hmm. It was, a, as you mentioned, a beautiful goal. And um, yeah, I really like how you can see from, from game to game how he improves, how he gets better to a better team player. And yeah, Simon McKinnock was a very dangerous player for St. Pauli as well. So all in all, I thought it's a deserved draw in the end, just if you look at the chances and how the game was set. And um, yeah, heads up, very good Hamburg Derby. Yeah, it was. And the fact that this game was being broadcast a number of different countries around the world. I know it was on, on BT Sport in the UK, course not here in Australia but um you know overall a very good Hamburg derby and yeah you can see from game to game that St. Pauli just are a much better side than they were this time last year and I think you know for a lot of neutrals that's good to see and of course their supporters will be very very happy indeed there is a new team though that is currently sitting second behind Hamburg uh you would think that maybe it might be Hanover it could have been a Dusseldorf maybe Heidenheim getting up there but no, it is Valfil Borchum. And despite the fact that they did it relatively difficult, which, to be fair, there is no other way uh, in Borchum than they're making things a little bit harder for themselves. A 3-2 win away at Würzburger Kickers means that they are second on the table and they are the closest title challenger to Hamburg at the moment. As I said, it wasn't particularly easy. They went a goal down uh, Rij Munsi. Got the opening goal for for Würzburg, and then a first Borchum goal for Soma Novotny. Then Danilo Suarez made it 2-1, his first goal of the season. Then Würzburg making it 2-2. Just before halftime, uh, Patrick Sontheimer. And then Simon Solo, who has been the main goal-scoring threat for Borchum. He got another goal, and another good three points for them. It hasn't been, as I said, not conventional. They've they're almost remind me of the Seattle Seahawks in the NFL. They give their fans absolute heart attacks. Their games that they should win uh, become unnecessarily close. But on this occasion, uh, Borkham, you know, against the bottom side, getting the three points, and now they sit in second. Yeah, um, and of course, I think 
the the score sheet doesn't really tell the whole story. Of course, um, Würzburg had their chances, but on the same time, the most dangerous player was, if you just look on, on at the shots in total, is was Arne Feig, and he's a left back. Uh, he had the last chance where Manuel Riemann uh, perfectly um does his job he actually so Riemann had a had a 66.7 saving rate which means five out of six shots against him he saved um but yeah Bochum was the the team that was better in nearly every statistic possession passing accuracy shots on target um well you know in in percentage corners and um they yeah, especially Simon Soller had five shots in total. He was a very dangerous player. I think um, Bochum also used the the yeah the individual errors that Würzburg made quite well. Um, Würzburg actually lost possession quite often, but created a high number of chances relative to their possessions. So they're in thirty nine percent possession. And they actually had six shots on target, which is relatively high if you compare it to to other games and yeah for Würzburg it's just very very unlucky just how the the teams they played in the last couple of weeks um they always play a team we they had uh, highest foul last week Bochum this week who uh, always managed to at least get a point out of a game and have a bit more strength a bit more self-confidence to get all three points in the end uh, so for them very unlucky um, although I liked especially in the first half I liked their performance but they didn't really manage to yeah put put emphasis on that first half uh, in, in the second half agreed um, it, it it is it almost feels like it that this could be their season in a nutshell it'll be a case of being close but never close enough. Um, and, you know, it was there for them, despite the fact that statistically they were, in many respects, outplayed. Um, but, yeah, the longer it goes on, the harder it, it becomes for you to start picking up points. And, yes, the last few weeks they've had some very challenging um, opponents. But, in the same token, you know, we... It's it's got to be this acknowledgement of that every game in the Spider Bundesliga is difficult. Doesn't matter who you're playing, and you just got to find ways to take points. And unfortunately for Würzburg, they weren't able to do it. I'm glad you mentioned that Riemann save because it was bloody outstanding. I mean, that is as good as it gets technically. And we know how good Riemann has has been for Borkum, especially last at the end of last season. He was fantastic. I mean, he was being pretty solid this season, and yeah. That was a vital save, and you can see Fike at the end of it. He was whew, crestfallen that he wasn't able to give Würzburg a, a point in that game. Let's move to Fürth, a team that has really got the goals going in their last couple of games, and they absolutely destroyed Hanover. Four goals to one, the final score, as was in last week's game against Kiel, Paul Seguin, and Branimir Hogurta, both getting on the score sheet. Julian Green as well, getting his name amongst the goals. It was only Hendrik Weidant for Hanover, his second goal of the campaign. Um, it's an incredible thing to see that with Hanover, they obviously beat Dusseldorf the week before, and they scored those three goals after Matthias Simmerman was sent off. But yeah, either it's fair to say they really offered nothing. I mean, Furt were fantastic in this game. 
Yeah, if you if you look at the statistic at who scored, um, and they always list um, strength and weaknesses. And for Fürth, they had uh, just for weakness, um, sent in standing, no significant weaknesses for this team. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a, it was a perfect day for them, perfect performance. They used their chances very very well. Although if you uh, look at the stats in general. It, especially possession and passing accuracy, they're kind of leveled. Um, but if you then look at shots on target, I mean, Fürth had um, 13 out of 20 shots in total on target. Hannover one out of eight, and that was the goal. Um, Hannover had more corners, but um, yeah, in general, they can, in the end, they can even thank Michael Esser. Uh, that wasn't even a higher score for Fürth because he, uh, Esser saved nearly 70% of the shots against him. So 9 out of 13. And um, yeah, especially Brani Mihokota was, was in perfect shape. He he has been a very vital player for Fürth in the past couple of months, uh, last season already. Uh, he had five shots in total, two goals. And if you just look at how the goal um being or yeah were were established were created he he you could always see that he just him being there his presence always um makes a huge impact and uh, yeah if you look at the shot zones this is something that really has to worry Hanover because they had zero shots in the six yards box in comparison to that Fjord had 20 and kind of Fjord had yeah all you you can have three parts so the six yards box 18 yards box and outside of the box and they yeah of course mainly the shots came from inside of the box eight and eight uh, six and 18 but for Hanover they had zero shots in the six yards box and then 71 percent in the 18 yards box and sometimes if you can see that this doesn't really lead to anything you have to literally think outside of the box and uh, they didn't really manage to do that. And they, they have the players to do that. I mean, we saw that last week. Someone like Musiala. Um, yeah, and they didn't really use that this time. And um, yeah, couldn't really level up their game in the second half either. So very deserved win for Fiat, especially in, in in the highness of the score sheet as well. Absolutely. And like the thing... The thing with her, Goethe, who's who at the start of the season was awarded the captain's armband, um, his season and a half that he's been in Furt has been very, very good. Of course, he came as a, on a free from Eintracht Frankfurt. And I love the way that he, he's utilized. Generally, will play up top. Uh, this week, he played with Nielsen in a two attacking set. You see them sometimes play three up top uh, with the two attacking wingers. You see... Hergerta gets a lot of his touches by dropping into midfield. You see him support Sebastian Ertz, which allows him and, and even Paul Seguin, who's playing as a defensive midfielder, to push up. And then allowing, if they play a tight, sort of a, a you know narrow diamond in midfield, it allows those kind of central midfielders to, to, to push up. And then you look at the goals that he scored this season, and the they are all high-scoring areas, which makes it very hard. Like, his... It just makes it very easy for his teammates to pick him out because he's always in a very dangerous area. And the goals he scored again uh, against Mikel Esser this time, yeah, uh, good luck. <laughs> good luck trying to make saves because they're, they're just they're great areas to operate. And yeah, third have got it going. They're back in the top five. They leapfrog Hanover, in fact. 
And uh, yeah, they've scored seven goals in their last two games. So they are, with a game to go before the international break, they are hitting it uh, very, very hard. Let's take our first break. And on the other side, uh, let's hit Group 2. And we're going to start at the Wildpark Stadion when Karlsruhe hosted Darmstadt. Our second block of matches certainly wasn't without controversy, but much like the first, the goals were very much raining. Maybe not the last game we talk about, but the first two games, well, we were treated to a spectacle of goals and some last-minute drama. Let's start with Karlsruhe and Darmstadt. This game ended 3-4 in favour of Darmstadt, and they needed a 90th-minute penalty to get them over the line against a plucky Karlsruhe side. But what was telling in this game really was the individual errors from Karlsruhe, really gift-wrapping Darmstadt. All three points in the end. Uh, Tobias Kemper scored a brace in this game. He scored the, the goal on ninth, on nine minutes and then the game-winning goal, Victor Paulsen and Sudar Dursen getting the goals as well for Darmstadt. Philip Hoffman got a brace. He's got four goals this season. Uh, and Marvin Vanitsek made it two in two for him. It's a tough loss to take for Karlsruhe because it keeps them in the bottom two. And I don't think Christian Eichner is a particularly bad coach. They've been relatively unlucky in a lot of games. This one included... Um, but either we, we know that Darmstadt were a team that we had penciled in as a smoky promotion candidate. Um, and as it stands at the moment, they currently sit in eighth behind Jan Regensburg on goal difference. It's an important win for them to at least say that they're in the mix in that tight midfield and, and potentially could push on going forward. Yeah, but for me, performances like this don't really show that they're ready for the Bundesliga again. Because, of course, they won, but I think quite lucky. Um, Because if you look at the action zones, um, 36% of the action happened in the away third in Darmstadt. Darmstadt third, sorry, I can't speak today. and I thought that the the reason why uh, Karlsruhe didn't win this because uh, was mainly because Philip Hoffmann didn't use all of his four chances that he had. Um, I mean, if you if you look at the shot direction, the 87% out of Karlsruhe's um, attacks came from the middle, or from uh, shots came from the middle, and that was at some stage Darmstadt could. Yeah, defend that very well. But um, for me, it wasn't a particularly good performance by Darmstadt and still not what I really expect from a team under Marcus Anfang, if you know what Marcus Anfang can do with teams. Um, and I th- for me, that would have been a deserved draw because for every time Karlsruhe was an attack, I thought they were the more dangerous team. They actually had a high shot frequency when in possession although they had only 39% possession so something quite similar to to Würzburg what we talked <clears> about <throat> earlier um, and they, they both had the same amount of uh, shots on target um, both 7 out of 15 um, um, but of course if you have someone like I mean if you look at the first goal by Tobias Kemper 
Um, that's the candidate for something that we have in Germany called the Kaktor des Monats, so the shitty goal of the month, uh, because I'm quite sure he doesn't really want to, to score a goal here. It's, it looks like he want to pass to someone else, but didn't really hit Uh, he doesn't really hit the ball quite well, and um, then nobody really can know what, yeah, evolves out of this situation. So that's quite unlucky. Also, a bit unlucky that Karlsruhe now in in the second consecutive game they have they lost the player due to a second yellow red card. Um, I don't know if that has something to do with the way Christian Eichner wants his his team to play that always keep on fighting but it does yeah come to come to the spectators intention although i have to say i'm still the first time i saw that penalty i was quite sure that this is definitely not one so um good work by var checking that again because it, i thought it was a very tough um yeah tough decision because if you look at the first time you only see like a really really light contact um, on top of the of the of the body and you don't really see the the that legs are involved as well so um, yeah good VAR performance here but very very unlucky for Karlsruhe of course with um, also mentioning here that this was one of the last games with spectators in the stadium because now because we have lockdown out in Germany which means until the end of November we don't have any fans in the stadiums again mm, that is unfortunate I mean you did mention the yellow cards and and the, the eventual red which was for Christoph Kerbold but the red itself you know it was in stoppage time and it was a second yellow for the, which was the handball which led to the camper goal so in terms of it wasn't like they played 20 minutes with 10 men it was more of they played two or three minutes and and that it's that stage it, yeah condemn them to defeat so you know they they tend to play a relatively aggressive style anyway uh, and you look at eichner as, as a manager as someone who's very you know charismatic very proactive on the touchline exudes a lot of passion and, and you know really cares about the, the performance um but yeah they just can't defend <laughs> Uh, they're, just, they're really poor defensively, but as were with Darmstadt, they've got some really good individual quality type players. Um, but God, they can't defend collectively. They, they, you know, on on another day, they they don't win because of how poor they were defensively. They just were very lucky that Hoffman missed a couple of great chances. He could have had four, to be fair, and he only ended up with two. But yeah, it's a tough loss for Karlsruhe. They have to bounce back. Darmstadt gets them closer to the top six, and, and as we've seen, it is it is very tight in that area of the table. Let's go to Braunschweig. They hosted Nuremberg, and this game, well, it was an impressive game for Braunschweig, who showed a lot of resilience um, to eventually take a win. Again, a goal that VAR would look at in terms of the penalty uh, against Lucas Mool, and eventually... Uh, the referee gave a penalty, which Nick Prashvitz would convert. Uh, the goal of the game, though, came from Danilo Viva. An absolutely sensational goal from outside the box. And whew, Christian Matenia as a goalkeeper, seeing that ball fizz into the top, is the, pretty much the perfect part of the corner, the top corner. Um, yeah, unlike... 
are very unlucky there. Uh, Martin Kobolanski also scored that one he should have saved. Uh, but for Nuremberg, Pascal Kerpke scored both goals. He was very, very dangerous. It's a good performance for, for Braunschweig in the end. Uh, it's their second home win and a, and a relatively big scalp. Um, and we know that they will probably be in that bottom six, but a, an important result for them. Yeah, definitely. Um, if you if you even manage to create a chance that can lead to a penalty like that in, uh, in stoppage time, that is a quality as well. Of course, um, always difficult to say, okay, that last that, that last winning goal came from a penalty, but uh, Braunschweig never gave up in this game, and I think that's mainly the reason why they deserved the win. I thought they did improve uh, in this game compared to to some other games and especially if you compare it for example to the to the Hanover game they did um yeah really improve their performances um Marvin uh, Martin sorry Kovilanski um had a very good performance as well as well um as Felix Dornebusch I thought mm-hmm. but on paper I thought it would have been a typical, uh, yeah, a typical draw. Um, just if if you look at the shots on target, on that both team really struggled with offsides. So um, Nuremberg was off five times, offside five times. So there there seems to be some kind of timing issue still. Why Braunschweig managed to to do that very well, but um, thought that was a problems. Um, both teams gave away a lot of free kicks around the box. Um, and yeah, similar to some other teams we now spoke about with Karlsruhe, with Würzburg, Braunschweig as well, they created a high number of chances relative to their possession, but this time they were actually the team taking all three points. So it's something that the... On paper, the team that is probably the underdog has around 30% possession, but still manages to create a lot of chances, which kind of speaks something for for the team that is in possession. So that doesn't necessarily mean you're the better team, only if you have more possession. Um, Something, yeah, Braunschweig can really build up on. Indeed, indeed. And um, just looking at the fact that you know, we do have our concerns with Braunschweig, which is understandable. And the one thing that they were talking about, I think Braunschweig's fans were a bit unsure about whether Dornabush should in fact start this game. You know, there is definitely a love affair with Yasmin Fizic, understandably. Um, but Dornabush was, was, was quite good in this game. Uh, he made a couple of very good saves when required. Um, but yeah, Nuremberg... Unlike the start of last season, where they were playing a lot more counter-attack and it was very defensive, they're dominating teams with possession, but they really were not hurting them. I mean, they scored twice, which is fine, but they... Yeah, they gave up three (laughs) in a game that they probably should have got more out of. So it's... Yeah, it puts them in a precarious position. They are in the bottom four, essentially, and, and now... Yeah, this the next coming game for them is a very, very big one. As was this game for Dusseldorf. This was a massive game. They played Heidenheim on Friday night. Uh, they were sitting in 16th, and there were real concerns of where they were going under Uwe Rosler. They did get the win, a 1-0 win. Marcel Sobotka getting the goal. Uh, 
and an important three points for them. But it probably didn't... It kind of masked the performance because they weren't great. Neither were Heidenheim. But they. But the difference was Heidenheim, who are normally very accurate in front of goal and they, you know, they take a lot of their chances. In this case, they didn't. And Dusseldorf um, getting a much important win. Yeah, very, very important win for Dusseldorf. Um, as you've mentioned, probably not that much deserved. Um, and I just looked at my predicted table again. If it would have been my table, it would have been the first play against the sixth of the table. So this is why you shouldn't listen to me when I speak about uh, predictions. But yeah, um, I watched part of that game and I still wasn't really overwhelmed by Fortuna's performance. Of course, once again, most attacks came from um, Jean Simmer and uh, Thomas Pledel's right side. Um, Jakub Piotrowski was a vital player in midfield because he won uh, four tackles. Um, but yeah, just in general, most uh, shot the the main shot zone was outside of outside of the box um, mostly. So just a bit above average. And um, yeah, for me, that's still, it's a beautiful goal by Marcel Zobotka, but mm. the way they use their chances at the moment is not really good for me. Um, I still expect much more. Of course, they were a bit unlucky because I think in total, nine players were missing due to injury. Um, and of course, uh, still have that problem that they had uh, person tested positive for COVID-19 so that's something that we on paper have much more in the Zweite Bundesliga because maybe the just the whole circumstances how the Zweite Liga is being um, displayed is, is a bit different than different to, than to the Bundesliga so that's probably um, yeah one, one point in here yeah uh, Düsseldorf had a lot of possession in Heidenheim's half couldn't really do a lot out of it so that's probably why 55% what I mentioned out of the uh, shots came from outside of box um, yeah don't know really what to make out of that game because that's not like a wake up call for me for Dusseldorf um, Kastenmeier had a good game he had a well there only were really uh, two shots on target but he had no problems with both of them yeah, but in, in total, not a good performance by both teams, but by Fortuna in general. And um, one last thing, I mixed up the penalty situations. <laughs> That's uh, We had two penalties last minute and I mixed that up. Uh, the thing I described for the Karlsruhe Darmstadt team was, of course, the um, situation in the Braunschweig-Nürnberg game. So do apologize. The other one was the handball. Sorry for that. <laughs> Penalty is a penalty in the end. Yeah, this game, whew, it wasn't pretty. Put it that way. And I think I think I'll, I'll diverge on, on Heidenheim and yeah, that they've uh, fallen into that unfortunate trap of teams that make the playoff. Look, well, again, they didn't actually lose. They lost. Wink, wink. Um, and the the following season is a massive struggle. Kiel had it. I mean, Braunschweig, uh, they, got, they got relegated the following season. So, 
it is very, very tough to come back from losing, well, losing in the playoffs. And um, yeah, I, I think we started at the start of the season, we were unsure what this Heidenheim team can be because we know that they are very uh, astute when it comes to recruiting and they've got some nice individual players um, but they are really missing that quality that they had with Klein Dietst and um, and Dorsch. I did see that Klein Dietst scored in the Europa League which was good but they, they lost so it didn't really matter but yeah just a nice little side note. Let's take our final break and on the other side we'll look at our group three helpings uh, some interesting results in this settings. Let's start with Paderborn's game with Jan Regensburg on the other side. The Bedler Arena in Paderborn plays host to our first Group 3 game, which saw Paderborn host Jan Regensburg. Now, Jan Regensburg have been particularly good this season, uh, and Paderborn have been so-so. They've had a couple of good performances here and there, but this was a game that Paderborn took uh, with great authority as they were 3-1 winners in the end, and it was the unlikely brace of Uwe Hunemeyer who scored two goals in this game, both from set pieces. Marco Terrazzino got his first goal in Paderborn colours, uh, and it was enough to see Stefan Baumgart's side take another important step in the right direction. Um... Either we look at Paderborn as a bit of an enigma in some ways that you either think that they're going to contend for promotion or they are well and truly going to be in the bottom three. They're not one of those in-the-middle type sides. Um, but they did quite well in this game. They were able to mitigate their, their mistakes and they were very good at set pieces. And in the and in the end, it was Hunemeyer's brace that was in fact the difference yeah Hunemeyer said before the game that they have to level up their um, their quality a bit uh, their, their courage a bit and I think um, they they gave him the answer or he himself gave the answer in this game um, I did really like Paderborn's performance especially in the second half the first half um, was yeah was what the score sheet said a one well a draw but a second half I thought Paderborn was much better of course um, Jan Riensburg had to switch um, goalkeepers in the first half um, because Alex Meyer was injured at mm-hmm. at some point at the at the goal um, well at least kicker says that I'm not quite sure I didn't see that um, but yeah on the other hand Sing- on the other side Singler had a very good game They he saved 66% of the shots um, and yeah, I think just on paper, just if you look at the statistics from possession, passing accuracy, well, even shots on target in that matter, um, quite level game. But Paderborn had eight to one corners, um, and both teams were caught offside quite often, actually. So, for example, for Paderborn, uh, Princess Vusu was caught offside twice um so as a as a striker that's something he might improve a bit or has to improve a bit um because it's just something that you can see in the statistics and might might be a timing problem for him still 
But yeah, um, for Regensburg, in the past, we always talked about that in the past matches, they used the individual errors of their opponents. And this time, um, they were the ones creating the individual errors on, on their side. And this time, Paderborn used them very well. And we know that from Paderborn that they can be very deadly in front of the goal. And they showed us in this game, first get goal for uh, Marco Terrancino as well. Really, really beautiful played out uh, goal. So, yeah, good game by Paderborn. Yeah, and they could have had another goal. I think Atui AJ missed from inside the six-yard box and he was all on his own at the far post and missed wide. So, yeah, but a good result for Paderborn. We know um, that they are they can be a very powerful offensive team and in most cases when they're very strong offensively, they are very weak at the defensive end. Uh, they only conceded one goal to Andreas Alves, but I think that won't be too much of a blip. They were pretty good all round. Uh, a team that has, well, in fact, a team that is undefeated. Um, and if you said that at the start of the season, you're probably not believing it, but it's Osnabrück. Two wins and four draws. They got their second win of the season on the weekend. A 2-1 win against Sandhausen. Uh, two goals coming in the at the end of the first half. Timo Beerman, the uh, the hometown product, getting his first goal in Osnabrück colours. Bashkim Ajini getting the second uh, just before the half. Kevin Behrens getting a goal back for Sandhausen. But really, the, this the scoreline was quite flattering. Uh, Osnabrück with far better side in this game. Um, as recording this, my cats are both having a bit of a fight. Um, but that's what Osnabrück brought to the table, that fighting spirit. Uh, and a player that I want to touch on, Eva, is Sebastian Kirk. He was at Nuremberg for the last few seasons. Really didn't get much of an opportunity last season, especially when Dovedan um, came from Heidenheim. But he's really been able to turn it around and he's had a very impressive start to the season. Yeah, I think he had the first chance for Osnabrück in that game as well. Um, a corner that um, Freisel just saves last minute, kind of. So he's a very important factor for, for Osnabrück's game, especially going forward. And and yeah, I thought this, this game had Osnabrück written all over it. Um, for them, quite good that they managed to get all three points because, um, as mentioned, last games were mainly... Uh, draws, but I really like how Krote forms this team and manages to get people like Bashki Maidini to have more courage. I mean, that second goal, um, normally like a team like that, you don't always yeah, have the courage to do something like that, but I thought that was very, very good by him, very good finish, and um, yeah, as as you said, it's a very the score was very flattering for Sandhausen. Um, for example, Diego Contento um, wasn't really good in this game. I think uh, Uwe Koshinat isn't completely happy with his performance so far in this season. They expected a bit more of him just with the experience he has. And if you if you see how he doesn't really challenge Timo Berman before the one nil, um, he doesn't even try. To, to jump to get the ball and you could I mean Sandhausen can really think uh, thank sorry uh, Freisel that the score she wasn't even higher for Osnabrück because once again very very good performance by Freisel he's a, 
Sandhausen proves to you know, second second goalkeeper after, or third goalkeeper you could say after Schuhen and Knala. Um, they they have some good goalkeepers in their midst and um, he had a seventy percent seventy one percent saving rate. So very good by him. And as said, Bashki Maidini, really one of one of the players to look out for for me next to Amanita, for example, for Osnabrück. Yeah, no, it was it was a very good performance from Osnabrück, and yeah, they just keep accumulating points. And yeah, I think Marco Grota has done a very good job so far uh, when you're replacing a good, a high quality manager like Daniel Tsiun, which he's shown at um, at Haasval. Um it makes a difference, and it's showed in the at least in the er, the earliest part of the short term. Uh, it's been a, a very good coaching hire, but of course, still a long way to go. But so far, so good. I think they've they've looked very good. They've remained compact defensively. They've only given up five goals this season. Um, they're not. They might not be the strongest team going forward, but what they do, what they lack, maybe in talent, they do have you know a lot of heart and passion, and they. They play football the right way, which is great to see. Uh, let's get to our last game. Not a whole lot to talk about in this one. Erzgebirge, Auer, and Holstein Kiel. One goal apiece. The goals both coming in the opening 10 minutes. Florian Kruger getting his second, as did Yanni Serra for the season. Uh, Kiel went down to 10 men uh, when Phil Neumann was... Neumann, sorry, was sent off. And yeah, this was basically a case of... Our just being unable to break down the resilient 10 men of Kiel. Uh, Ioannis Gelios uh, was very, very good in this game. And really was the difference between um, uh, Our taking the three points, which they probably should have done. Yeah, um, really want to point out Ioannis Gelios' performance here as well. He had seven saves. Um, and while, of course, some of the, the shots coming his way weren't particular good um our strikers had some some problems in this game but never nevertheless we we said this before he he is a very good goalkeeper at the moment um kept keel in this game kept kept um at least one point for keel in this game where they had to play i think at least over 60 minutes um with one main down and um yeah for for me, it's in the end, it's a deserved draw because our didn't really use the chances they had. Um, I thought that I mean they had twenty two shots in total. That's a lot, uh, but they only uh, they had eight, eight shots on target. Only managed to score once. Of course, that's um, as mentioned because of Giannis Gelios as well. But, um, yeah, if you see on the other side that Keen had six shots in total, managed to at least score once out of that, um, might be might be a problem for our, especially because we know that from the past season, they usually pick up the points at home and not away. And so they should win games like this when, they're, when their opponents are one man down, when they have the chances, but they weren't really um, effective in that game. Yeah, and it's not like that Dirk Schuster wasn't really trying to go all in. Uh, it was an interesting tactical display by him. And yeah, it's a, I think for, for our fans, they'll be frustrated because at home, you know, Kiel coming off a defeat. And then within the opening half hour, 
you know, Kiel go down to 10 men and really they should have been able to put Kiel away. But Gelios, who has rightfully earned his critics for being subpar, especially was last season. But I think bringing in Thomas Dino, who's been out injured, has uh, certainly given him the competition and he's been very good this season. He was very, he was very good again on the weekend. Um, and he has, you know, sometimes when the defense fails you, you're really relying on the goalkeeper to provide something. And he was good. He was very good. And he, he very much did very, did what he had to do to help Kiel get a vital point and keep them in the top three for at least another weekend. That's all the time we have for, for this edition of the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Always a pleasure to have Eva on uh, to help me try and digress the crazy weekend of, of football coming from the Spider Bundesliga. We will be back next week to review all the action from Match Day 7. Until next time, it's goodbye. <laughs>